Before we begin our Bible study tonight, let me just make two little points. In that song, number 41, it referred to Messiah as the rock of our salvation. And throughout the scriptures, it refers to Messiah as the rock that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Do you understand the significance of those? I bet most of you do. If you were on the Temple Mount and you go out the northern gate, which is the road that leads to Damascus, the first thing you see is Golgotha. It looks like the place of a skull. The reason it looks like a place of the skull is because that's where they quarried the stones for building the temple. That's the spot where Messiah was crucified. For they had taken the rocks from that place to build the temple, and yet he, the chief cornerstone, they rejected in that spot. The other thing is, I was asked where in the scriptures to talk about the Sabbath as a sign. That's in Exodus 31. I said we would look at that before we start. So let's go to Exodus chapter 31, starting in verse 12. Exodus chapter 31, beginning in verse 12. Let me give you a chance to find it. Exodus chapter 31, verse 12. says, and the Lord, you see how the word Lord there is spelled, that's the tetragrammaton. Those four he Hebrew letters, yod heh vav The Lord spoke to Moses saying, what does that word saying mean? What follows is a quote. Speak also to the children of Israel. Not speak to Israel, but speak to the children of Israel. Speak is more strong than say. Say is the common word used for a simple action of saying something. Speak is strong emotion. It's like pounding the podium. Do you ever have a professor in college who would kick the podium when something was going to be on the test? Neither did I, but I wish I had. Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, meaning don't you change a word. Surely my Sabbath you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. How do we know this applies to the non-Jews who choose to be saved by faith? That's in Isaiah chapter 56. Isaiah chapter 56. If you want to enter into the Messianic kingdom, listen to these words. Isaiah chapter 56, verse 6. Also the sons of the foreigner, that's the non-Jewish person, who join themselves to the Lord to serve him. See that word Lord is the tetragrammaton again, yod heh And to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants. Everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy mountain, and make them joyful in my house of prayer. What's a mountain in prophecy is a kingdom. So Messiah promises to bring us to the messianic kingdom and allow us to come into the temple. If we will do what? Keep from defiling the Sabbath and will hold fast my covenant. Now tonight our Bible studies in the book of Romans. We're in Romans chapter 10. 
We got all the way up last time to verse 6. So we'll pick up tonight with verse 6. And hopefully we'll get at least through verse 9 before time runs out. We'll see. So everybody turn with me please to Romans chapter, chapter 10, verse 6. We spent a lot of time last week talking about 10.4 and how that word and is telos, not teleo. But in verse 6, we're continuing in the same topic, the same theme, which is how should somebody who's been saved by faith now live? Do we live like Gentiles? No. Ephesians 4.17 says you don't live anymore like the Gentiles. Well, if you don't live like the Gentiles, what's your other option? Something that looks a lot more like Jewish, right? Because if you're following the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God, people sometimes will think you are Jewish, whether you are or not. Verse 6 says, but the righteousness of faith, meaning people who are found righteous in the eyes of the Lord because of their faith, or we would say saved by faith, speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Messiah down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Messiah up from the dead. But wait a minute. Paul's quoting from somewhere. He's quoting from Deuteronomy. So let's turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 30 and see the context from which this comes. How did rabbis teach? They would throw out a verse and what would the students do? Put it in context. So let's do that. I'm pretty sure Deuteronomy 30 didn't say anything about bringing Messiah up or down. So let's see what words he's quoting and what this, the context was at the time. Deuteronomy chapter 30 beginning in verse 11. Verse 11. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11. Got it. For this commandment, which I command you today. Which commandment? The whole thing of the Torah. Remember, Deuteronomy 6 describes it all as a commandment made up of commandments, statutes, and judgments. For this commandment, which I command you today, is not too mysterious for you. If it was too mysterious, what would that mean? Couldn't understand. Couldn't understand it. This says, it is understandable. Nor is it far off. Meaning, if you want to know the word of God, God will make it available. You don't have to truck halfway around the world and dig through ancient sites to try and find it. Verse 12, it is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend into heaven for us and to bring it to us that we may hear and do it. Now you see what Paul has done. Paul has equated Messiah with the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God. For Messiah is the word of God. That's John 1.1, 1, 1, right? The beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. He is the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God in human flesh to demonstrate to us how to keep them. 
Did he come to abolish them? No. He came to show us how to keep them. Verse 13, nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart. Isn't that where God wants it? That's where the new covenant is supposed to be written, right? In our minds and in our hearts. What does it mean to have it in your heart? It means it is your desire to do it. It's in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. See, I've said before you today, life and good, death and evil. Why a choice? Does God force us to do right? Or does God allow us to choose? And he says, if you choose life, you choose that which is good. And if you choose death, you chose that which was bad. Now, wouldn't it be something if there was a period there and nothing in the Bible explained what the choices are? Just, you show up at Judgment Day one day and I'll tell you what you chose. How much, how many of you would like that? No. You want to know which is life and which is death. So in verse 16 it says, In that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply. What comes before walking in his commandments? To love the Lord your God. John 14, 15, Messiah said, If you love me, comma, keep my commandments. 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. What is the love of God? That we keep his commandments. So this is how we choose. So you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you and let you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear, what's it mean you do not hear? Choose not to obey. How do you say in Hebrew, obey? Shema Bakol. Shema Bakol. Hear the voice. To hear the voice is to obey. If you don't obey, you did not hear. And are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them. I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. And then he says something that just really struck me in verse 19. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you. Because heaven and earth will still be here come judgment day. And they can testify that you heard this. That I have said before you life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore choose life. That both you and your descendants may live. Yes, God gave us a choice, but he told us which choice to make. And which was that? Choose life. Does God care whether we go to the lake of fire or not? He cares. Yes, he yes Daniel. That statement in verse 19. Heaven and earth is witnesses. That's important because. In Matthew 5.18. He says if heaven and earth are done away with. Then so are the commandments. He says and not until heaven and earth. Pass away. I have that marked down here too, Matthew 5.18, that is so important. Because it's so important, we'll go there in a minute. But let's finish verse 20. 
that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, Shema B'Kolo, and that you may cling to him. What does cling mean, Dan? Does that mean just to touch? Reach up behind and poke on the back? Hang on tightly. Instead of clinging to the unclean thing, is to cling to cling to Him, for He is your life and the length of your days. Now let's go up to Matthew five eighteen, because Daniel's point is right on. Yes, ma'am. Back in Deuteronomy, I still have a finger there because I saw your hand up. Verse nineteen says that both you and your descendants may live. Remember, you're supposed to be teaching them to your descendants, and if you do. We're always praying for our kids and our grandkids, but are we teaching them the commandments of God? We should be doing both. In Matthew 5.18, well, you ought to start in 17 for context, don't you think, Daniel? Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. What does it mean to destroy? It means to incorrectly interpret them, to teach them wrong. He didn't come to teach us wrong. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Plurosai from the verb plurao means to properly teach. Or in Romans 15, 19, Paul says, I have fully preached. That's the same word. So to teach them correctly. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, the same heaven and earth that bore witness all the way back there in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Till heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter, which is the Hebrew letter Yod. Or a piece of a letter that helps you distinguish a dalit from a resh will by no means pass from the law, the Torah, till all is fulfilled. Is it significant that the Lord? Is it significant that the Lord called on heaven and earth to have two witnesses because everything is to have two witnesses because he says on the word of two or more let all things be established. Yep. And they're both going to be here as long as we're here on this earth. And they all heard. And we may not think things like animals can hear and talk, but then you think about folks riding on donkeys and mistreating them, <laughs> and a donkey stopping and going, you're a bigger fool than I am. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should always listen to our donkeys. Yes, Rachel. In Deuteronomy 30... In Deuteronomy 30, Rachel says. It just throws a, a hole in uh, Calvinism and, uh, pre, and predestination. Yeah. And God has given us a choice. Yeah, God gave us a choice. And you're absolutely correct there, Rachel. So back to Romans chapter 10. We're up to verse 8. You know, something else that throws a hole in. That whole section in Deuteronomy. The commandments were not so burdensome that God had to take them out of the way and put in something easier for us. The commandments were not so burdensome that God had to take them out of the way and put something easier in for us. Again, 1 John chapter 5, verses 3 and 4 say, This is how you love God. This is how you love God, and his commandments are not burdensome. God did not ask that much of us. I know I have church people say, it would be such a burden for me to worship on Saturday, but oh, Sunday's easy. Okay, get off it. Let's go back to Romans 10, verse 8. I think if you love the Lord, his commandments are a joy. 
If you love the Lord, his commandments are a joy. If you're saved by faith, his commandments are a joy. If you look at them as a burden that I could not possibly want to do, you ought to look at your heart. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay, we are going back to Romans 10, verse 8, because we've got to get to verse 9 tonight. (laughs) Verse 8 says, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Now look at this. Step back for a moment. This is quoting from Deuteronomy 30, which is about the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God. And Paul says, it's also the word of faith which we preach. By that he means the commandments of God given to us in Genesis through Deuteronomy were not for a way of salvation. It was for people who are saved by faith to know how to walk in a way that's pleasing to God. Again, how intolerable would it be if God said, I'm going to judge you at the end of time. I will either allow you into the new Jerusalem or cast you into the lake of fire, but I'm not going to tell you how you're going to be judged until you get there. And we'll see if you guessed correctly. Would that be a loving father? It would not. So God has told us in his word how we're going to be judged. What's the first question? Do you love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, your neighbors, yourself? If you do, then did you walk in the commandments of God? Yes. So it really comes down to a very simple yes or no answer. Do you love the Lord your God or don't you? Yes, ma'am. Melech Yeshua said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He said, if you don't keep my commandments, it's because you don't love me. It's said in a slightly different way in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Let's turn over there because not everybody may have been there before. I think the minute you see it, you're going to go, oh yeah, I know that place. He did say his commandments are not burdensome. And I have to agree, they're not. God did not ask that much of us. 1 John 2, verses 3 and 4. Now by this we know that we know him. Because in John 17, 3, it says this is eternal life that you know him. Somebody's still turning, so I will just continue to tap dance in my words. John 17, 3 said that this is eternal life that you know the Lord. Verse 3 says, now by this we know that we know him. Here's the test. It's written in many Bibles as the test of knowing him. If we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Yes, ma'am. Okay, and the person you're telling it to doesn't keep Shabbat. So you can start with the discussion right there. Is there any place in the scripture that in the Hebrew, those Ten Commandments of Exodus chapter 20 are called the Ten Commandments? They are not. 
They're called the ten words. And what did Messiah say in Matthew 4.4? Man does not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And Psalm 89.34, God said, My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. When it says commandments in Greek, we would have to look at each place. Generally, the word law in the New Testament is the Greek word nomos, and they're referring to the Torah. Crystal. Is the commandments in Hebrew, is that word, is that mean word? In yeah, it means word, okay. the ten words. Okay. So how yep. do you say it in Hebrew? Devarim. 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 Yeah. So what this is trying to tell us is simply that if you're saved by faith and you love the Lord, then you want to do as he commands you. That's all. We used to say, think of a young bride, how she loves her husband and wants to do everything he tells her. But well, in this modern era, let's go back to the scriptures. You know what? In a lot of wedding ceremonies, they don't put honor and obey anymore. They've removed those. They say it's old. The married people here, I think you love your spouse more every day. So and you should. Right, so just like the Lord, you love them more every day, and it doesn't wane. It wanes. Yeah, yeah, understood. <laughs> all right. You blew it there. Okay. Back to verse 8. Romans 10, 8. That is still quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 30. It is verse 14. Which tells us something that the traditional church, I think, tends to overlook. Salvation was always by faith. It was always by faith. It was never by works. Does the Apostle Paul tell us that in Galatians chapter 3 in no uncertain terms? Matthew says, yes, so let's go look. It's in Galatians chapter 3. He tells us that in no uncertain terms. Galatians chapter 3. Verse 6 says, just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. What is that word believed? Maybe we need to get deeper into the Hebrew. It is he-amin, which is he-feel, which is causative. And is he-amin is the verb from which we get amen. When God says, I'm going to do the following, you say amen, what does that mean? It means you believe that because he said it, he's going to do it. That's the verb that's used here. God said, I'm going to give you so many descendants, you can't count them. And Abraham said, I believe it. And that's what it means, that Abraham believed God was counting him for righteousness. If you believe that when God speaks, he means what he says, and he will do what he says, that's what faith is. The word faith is imunah, comes from the same root. In Hebrew? In Hebrew, imunah. It means, I believe God will do everything God said he was going to do. Which is like Matthew 4.4. 4. 
Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. How do you know there's going to be a rapture? Because God said so. How do you know there's going to be a messianic kingdom on earth? Because God said so. Why does 85% of the church worldwide believe there's not going to be a messianic kingdom on earth? Because they say, they say you can't believe that the Bible's really the word of God. And they haven't read it. But if you don't believe it's the word of God, you don't believe God. Yeah, every time we see that word saying, Thomas saying, that means what follows is a quote from the lips of God. That's exactly what that means. Is it he amin? He amin. Uh huh. Spell it anything, any way that makes you say he amin. Okay, but continuing in Galatians 3. Verse 15, brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it's only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say unto seeds as of many, but as of one, into your seed who is Messiah. And this I say, that the law, talking about the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 20, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God and Messiah that it should make the promise of no effect. That promise, that covenant is salvation by faith. If God has promised on Messiah's own blood that salvation is by faith, can he 430 years later say, well, I changed my mind and now I'm going to make you earn it? The answer is no. When Paul says in verse 15, I speak in a manner of many, means let's back up from the theological issues. If you and I have a contract under seal, which doesn't exist in America anymore because you can't trust anybody. When we had contracts under seal, if Doc and I had a contract, I'm going to buy her car for $80,000. And it's, once it's under seal, neither of us can change it. Once I see it and go, wait a minute. I'm getting cheated here. It's too bad. Even if she and I agree to change it, we can't change it. Once it's under seal, it's done. Is that a law? That was the law in the United States until recently. But isn't that why Baptists claim they can never lose their salvation? <laughs> it's under seal. Yeah, it's no, seal that's not why. <laughs> that's not why, but it's a good try. Okay. <laughs> Let's go back to Romans chapter 10. Oops, we didn't make it past verse 9, did we? We're, we're still in 8. We're still in verse 8. Romans 10, verse 8. What does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. I didn't prove that. They're describing the Torah, the commandment, statutes, and judgments of God as having a faith requirement. And that's in the book of Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. I try always to prove what I tell you to the best of my ability. Hebrews 4.2. We're actually going to back up for context. 
and take a running start from chapter 3, verse 16. It's not too many verses. For who, having heard, rebelled? That is, who at Mount Sinai rebelled against God? Everyone except Joshua and Caleb. All but two. Out of two million people, all but two rebelled. Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Right here, Paul equates, did not obey with unbelief. They didn't obey because they did not believe. And chapter 4 begins, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. The you, he's talking to people who claim to be saved, and Paul says, yeah, let's test it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. That is, those in the wilderness had the gospel preached to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So why did they fail to keep God's commandments? Because they lacked faith. Faith must come first. From faith comes love. From love comes obedience. From obedience comes blessing. From blessing comes glorification. But it all starts with faith. Yeah. What if you don't believe the Bible is the word of God? Then you're in trouble. Okay, fair enough. So let's go back to Roman. Yes, ma'am. She wants to sell me that car. <laughs> no, go ahead. What's that? So this kind of reminds me of the sower and the seed. The sower and the seed. Tell me about that parable. Because there are four kinds of hearts. Right, right. And there was only one that really grew, that produced it was only one of the four hearts that actually took root and grew and produced fruit. The others did not. Right. So, so of the four people, only one was actually one saved. Faith, right? Only one had faith. Because so I've, I've also heard it preached that those were just carnal Christians or whatever. But I don't believe that. Yeah, the word carnal Christian means an unbeliever. <laughs> <laughs> they're just trying to sugarcoat it somehow. Faith brings love. Love brings obedience. Obedience brings blessing. Blessing brings glorification. It's a step. Faith, love, obedience, blessing, glory. It's a stepping stone process. All righty. Now let's see if I can get myself in deep. Romans 10 verse 9. That. Is this a new topic? No. And the topic is that salvation is by faith. It's faith that produces love which brings obedience. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Yeshua and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Everybody's heard that. 
probably everybody I've ever met could repeat it. Even if they didn't speak anything else in English, they could repeat this part. But let's break it down and make sure we understand it. I thought about sending out a copy of the Greek to you, and I might just do that. But if you look at the BibleHub.com, at the interlinear, at Romans chapter 10, what you're going to find is they've written the literal under the Greek, and it says, the Lord is Yeshua. And that's the way this should read. That if you confess with your mouth that the Lord is Yeshua, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That word Lord there is from the Tetragrammaton. And that's what I want to take a little time to discuss. First of all, I want you to look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Scriptures that you and I are well familiar with. So much so that you might say, we don't need to turn there. But yeah, actually we do. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but who does the will of my Father in heaven. You know what the word Lord means, right? It means master, the one we serve. In Hebrew, to say my master, meaning if you're a servant and this is a human master, my master is Adoni, A-D-O-N-I, A-D-O-N-I, Adoni. If it's the Lord as in the Lord God, it's Adonai, A-D-O-N-A-I. So when you're reading the Hebrew, there is no doubt when it's talking about the Lord God and the master of a servant, the master of a house. This word, Lord, in chapter Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, is kuri, K-U-R-I-E. Keep that in mind, kuri. That is Greek. If it was in Hebrew, it would be Adon, not Adonai. We do have Matthew in Hebrew. Yes, we do. If you look at Matthew chapter 15, chapter 15, verse 27. And if this sounds like, whoa, this is way over my head, just bear with me a few minutes. In Matthew chapter 15, we're talking about the Gentile woman. And in verse 26, the Lord has said, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And her response, and she said, yes, Lord. Is she calling him Lord as in the Lord God? No. This Greek word is kuri. Spell it K-U-R-I-E. If you were more acquainted with Greek, I'd say K-Y-R-I-E, but that would just confuse you. Lord. This word, Lord. 
Like human master. Like a human master. Okay. Mm -hmm. So in Matthew chapter 7, many will come to me that day and say, Lord, Lord, that's like a human master. That's not recognizing that he is God. Just that he is a responsible person. Let's go to Matthew chapter 8, verse 2. Matthew chapter 8, verse 2. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Does this leper believe that Yeshua is God, the Lord God? No. This word is kuri. Spell it K-U-R-I-E. So Matthew 7, 21, Matthew 15, 27, Matthew 8, 2, all the same. Kuri. Look at Matthew 8, 6. The centurion, a Gentile, says, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. Does he think Yeshua is the Lord God? No. The Greek word is kuri. K-U-R-I. In Matthew 8, 21. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Did the disciples at that point know that Yeshua is the Lord God? No. Greek word, kuri. Now let me show you something a little different. Go back to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. So every one of those places we've looked at so far, the word is kuri. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord. Is that Lord referring to the Lord God? No. Yes. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. That's because we're in the New Testament. They don't make the distinction in the New Testament. They don't want you to make the distinction in the New Testament. But this word, Lord, is referring to the Lord our God. This word is kuriu. K-U-R-I-O-U. Not kuri, but kuriu. Just like Adoni is not Adonai. So this is, in, in Hebrew, be Adonai? This would be Adonai. Okay, in Hebrew, Adonai. Adonai. Yeah, the Lord, as in the Tetragrammaton, is Adonai. Which literally means, my Lord's is plural. Because every word for God is plural. Like, Elohim is God, that's plural. But if you look at um, Genesis 1-1, Bereshit, Ra, Elohim, Eit HaShemayim, Eit HaAretz. Elohim is plural, but the verb is singular. So Elohim, when it's used to refer to the pagan gods, has a plural verb. When it's the Lord our God, it's a singular verb. And that's the only way to distinguish it, even in... Okay, got it. Thank you. Yep. Matthew one twenty four. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took him to his wife. The angel of the Lord, is that referring to the Lord our God? Yes, the Greek word is kuriu, K-U-R-I-O-U. 
I wish I had taken time to go through every occurrence of the Lord in the New Testament, because after this, I'm going to have to. <laughs> but Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. Now when they departed, behold, an angel of the Lord. Is that referring to the Lord our God? This word is kuriu, K-U-R-I-O-U. So Matthew 1.20, Matthew 1.24, Matthew 2.13, all kuriu. The first five we looked at referring to a human master were all kuri, different. No, a man would not command an angel. That, that would get you stomped into little, little bitty pieces. But now let's go to a place in Matthew where we're quoting from the Old Testament, where we know it's the Tetragrammaton, and that's Matthew 3.3. 3. Matthew 3.3 3 is a quote from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. See how Lord is spelled there? That was the tetragrammaton. The Greek word, kuriu. K-U-R-I-O-U. Let's go to Matthew chapter 4, verse 7, quoting from the Old Testament. Verse 7, Yeshua said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. See how Lord is spelled there? That's the tetragrammaton. The Greek word there is kuriu. K-U-R-I-O-U. So the original writers were making a significant difference. Yes. became translated to suit somebody. As it got translated to suit somebody, they made it difficult to determine because it didn't right. fit their theology. If Yeshua is the Lord our God from the Old Testament, then he's not a different God with different rules. Yes, ma'am, I heard somebody in Go to Meeting land. Yeah, I sent a message on Go to Meeting asking a question. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was asking. Yeah, go to Meeting is referring to just master. Correlation. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thank you. That's yep. not what they say that song is saying. But okay. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Just remember whose song it is. Catholic song. Catholic song. Yep. Matthew 4.10. Away with you, Satan, for it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. That word Lord is written in such a way you know it was the tetragrammaton in the Hebrew. The Greek word, kuriu. Now, I, I gave you what? Five examples of kuri. Six examples of kuriu. Now let's go back to Romans 10 and ask which is this. And if you confess with your mouth the Lord Yeshua, when it really should read the Lord is Yeshua, that is kuriu. The same as the tetragrammaton. So if you confess with your mouth that the Lord our God is Yeshua, that he is God from all eternity, and believe your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved.
Who gave us the commandments? Yeshua did. The Tetragrammaton. How many times does the word the Lord, meaning the Tetragrammaton, appear in the Old Testament? More than the word God appears, right? It's all over the place. That's why if we come back to Revelation chapter 22... Verse 13, you see words in red, which means they're Messiah's words. Verse 13 says, I'm the Aleph and the Tav, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He's quoting from where? Isaiah 41.4. Let's turn back to Isaiah 41.4. Isaiah 41.4. Isaiah 41, verse 4. Who has performed and done it? Calling the generations from the beginning. I, the Lord, see how Lord is spelled? That's the Tetragrammaton. And the first, and with the last, I am He. So Yeshua in Revelation 22 says, I am the Tetragrammaton. I am the God who created all things, who spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, who gave the commandments. But do you see why Catholic doctrine would not want you to make that association? Because they want you to believe that Messiah came and did away with God's commandments. And became the new gentle God of the New Testament. Mm. The touchy-feely, huggy God. Mm. Yeah, they tend not to. Because, you know, the Catholic position on Revelation is that's a historical book. It's already happened. Yeah, already happened back in the first century. You just missed it. <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> okay. So... Think about the significance of what I'm telling you. Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth that the Lord is Yeshua and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. How many people out there say the Bible never says Yeshua is God? That he's the son of God most would say, well, he's a flesh and blood human being. Mary had an affair with a Roman soldier and claimed God got her pregnant. But the Lord overlooked that and, and put the Holy Spirit in him at his baptism. And that's when he became the Messiah. That's heresy. That is heresy. But there are so many people who believe it. Again, um, just today I was listening to somebody reading from the latest Barnard survey which surveys pastors. And the, according to the survey, only about one in three even believe that the Bible is the word of God. And these are pastors in the pulpit. They don't believe that the Bible is the word of God. That's a good question. So back to Romans 10, because I don't want to. Well, it's an easy job. You only work one day a week. Yeah. 
Yeah, right. <laughs> okay, back to Romans chapter 10. The Lord is Yeshua. Let us continue this theme. 1 Corinthians 15. Not only that the Lord is Yeshua, but that God raised him from the dead. Paul emphasizes that because there was a big issue in Paul's day. Because you had the Pharisees and then you had the Sadducees. They didn't believe in the, rex in the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. Yeah. But they didn't believe in resurrection. They were the ones who asked Messiah, this woman had a husband, he died, she married his brother, his brother, his brother, his brother. Eventually she had eight husbands. And in eternity, whose wife will she be? And what, what did Messiah say? He said, you're stupid. Go read your Bible, essentially. But many of these Sadducees have gotten saved. And Paul's now talking to them going, you think you're saved? They don't believe in resurrection, which means they don't believe Messiah was resurrected. So are they truly saved? And the answer is no. But let's read it. Verses 1 through 20. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, but which you also are saved if, look at that word if, you hold fast that word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain, meaning unless you didn't really believe it and you're not saved like you think you are. For I deliver to you first of all that which I also received, that Messiah died for our sins. How many of you believe that? He did. Yes. But not only that, it says, according to the scriptures. What scripture said Messiah was going to die for us? What's that? Daniel 9? Isaiah 53, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And others. Psalm 22, Psalm 16. So yes, it was prophesied. Why did Messiah cry out as he was about to die, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is God. He can't forsake himself. Go read Psalm 22. That sentence is Psalm 22, 1. David wrote a thousand years before the crucifixion that Messiah would die how? By crucifixion, having his hands and his feet pierced. The disciples up to that point, if you remember, still didn't believe Messiah was going to die. And he tells them, it was written a thousand years ago. How will you recognize Messiah when you see him? From the flat forehead, from banging it on the table. Yeah, he chose them. And they were all his cousins except one. Judas Iscariot. Yeah, they were all his cousins, except for Judas Iscariot. Yeah. Verse 4, and that he was buried. Was Messiah buried? Yes. He was. If you've ever been to the garden tomb, I even think that tomb is the right place. Because what they found recently is the place where the Roman seal was placed upon it. And there's no record of any other tomb being sealed by the Romans. 
and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Did it say he would raise again? Yeah, Isaiah 53. He told us, sign of Jonah in Matthew 12. He would raise on the third day. He would be there three days and three nights and raise on the third day. Which, of course, the Catholics made he died on Friday and rose on Sunday because there's not three nights between Friday and Sunday, no matter how you slice it. So if you say he died on Friday and rose on Sunday, he denies the Lord entirely. Because his prophecy failed. When you know about a prophet whose words don't come to pass? False, False prophet. He died on Thursday and, and rose on Sunday. Child. Yeah. Child, like, that's not right. Yeah. Verse 5, and then he was seen by Cephas. Anybody know what a Cephas is? It's, it means Peter, yeah. Cephas is Hebrew into Greek. Kepha is Hebrew. Cephas is Greek. It means Peter. And by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain in the present, but some have fallen asleep. I mean, if you don't believe me, there's hundreds of people out there you can go ask, because they saw him. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Anybody ever wonder how James came to be a believer? Well, here's how. When Yeshua comes up and says, hey, James, stop being an idiot. <laughs> Then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. Now, if Messiah is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? The you there refers to the Sadducees. The Sadducees are those that say there is no resurrection from the dead. Yes, sir. Well, is there a difference in the way that the word believed is written? The question in my mind goes back to when Yeshua was talking with the young man or person, and I'm paraphrasing here, and Yeshua asked him, do you believe in me? And the man said, yes, I believe. And Yeshua said, even the devils believe and tremble. Is there a difference? Yes, there is a difference. Okay. So, it is not enough to believe that God is. Okay. The book of James tells us Correct. that. Correct. Even the devils believe and they right. tremble. Right. If you truly believe, you will be obedient. Right. And they are not. So it's a difference. Correct. Now, is there a difference in the way that word is, is translated? Believe both times here, but is there a different word to support the difference in that? The I have not gone and looked at the Greek to answer that question. Okay. So let me not guess. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll do that myself. Very good. <laughs> Verse thirteen. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, the Messiah is not risen. See, he's beginning to reason with the Sadducees. You say there is no resurrection. Well, if there is no resurrection, the Messiah is not resurrected. Yes, ma'am. Speaking about the resurrection, when we, before we come to Yeshua, we are all dead, correct? We are, we are spiritually dead. Right. So when you come to Yeshua and you accept, accept Yeshua and you follow his commandments, then he raises you back up to life. Correct. That's what the baptism is supposed to picture. Being dead 
and then risen to new life. Right. As in a, not a literal resurrection, but a spiritual resurrection. And that's because you have to look at the word of God in a spiritual sense, in the New Testament. The Both. Old Testament was carnal, and the New, the new, new Testament is spiritual. Yes, but it's not all spiritual. Sometimes it's still literal. Okay. That's why we have to rightly divide the word of truth. Okay. Yeah. Verse 14, and if Messiah is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Meaning, if Messiah didn't rise from the dead, then our preaching is worthless and you're not saved. So he's trying to get them to realize that there is resurrection. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we've testified of God that he raised up Messiah whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, the Messiah is not risen. And if Messiah is not risen, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Messiah have perished. If only in this life we have hope in Messiah, we're of all men the most pitiable. But now Messiah is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So Paul says, quit telling me there's no resurrection. There is. And if you don't believe there is, you're not saved. So come see me after class. Mm -hmm. So then we're the first fruits because we've been resurrected in the spirit when we submitted our nope, lives to Nope, we are not the first fruits. Okay. The harvest was in three stages. Okay. The first fruits, that's when Messiah arose. Did he arise alone? Or did Matthew 27 say many came out of the many, graves with him? They were the first fruits. Okay. In Revelation 4, when that feast of trumpets is fulfilled, that's the main harvest. And then at the end of the seven-year tribulation period in Revelation chapter 20, are the gleanings, those that are raised, that died during the tribulation period. They weren't saved when the rapture came. Okay. They got saved during the tribulation, but died as martyrs. Okay. When you have the first fruits, the main harvest, and the gleanings, and that completes the harvest. We're the main. We are the main. So we will go when that trumpet blows, hopefully in just under three months. <laughs> Is the rapture this year? Ask me in October. <laughs> Nobody knows the time or the date. <laughs> show me where it says that. Uh, oh, hang on, I'll show you. <laughs> Let me look it up. No one knows the time. Because people say that all the time, and that's not what the Bible says. Now it says that we will know the season, but we don't know the, the time. Now, now, is. give me a verse. Let's okay. look. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking for it. <laughs> Matthew 24, 36. Go to Matthew 24, 36, which says, and of that day, let's look. But of that day, the word of means concerning. Okay. Not that we don't know when, but that we don't know how bad it's going to be. We can't conceive of how bad it's going to be. Right. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I know people say to me all the time, no man knows the day or the hour. I go, well, let's go look and see if it, that's what it's actually saying. But if you go to 1 Thessalonians 5, 
Verse 1. Now let me ask you a dumb question. 1 Thessalonians 5 follows what? 1 Thessalonians 4, which is about the rapture and the resurrection. Verse 1 of chapter 5 says, But concerning the times and the seasons, that's the feasts and the festivals of Leviticus 23. The first four of which taught the first coming of Messiah. He died at Passover, was buried on leavened bread, he rose at first fruits, and the Holy Spirit came at the Feast of Weeks. Okay. There's three left. Yes. The three that are left teach the rapture and the resurrection, the literal second coming, and the establishment of the kingdom. So concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Mm-hmm. For when they say peace and safety, and then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, such that this day should overtake you as a thief. Right, so those who don't know the feasts and the festivals don't know when. The rapture's coming. But if you do, then you do. And Yeshua and Matthew said, when you see all these things, uh, Matthew, is it Matthew 24? Mm-hmm. When you see all these things taking place, know that it's, it's near before. even at the door. Right. So we don't know which year, the day and the hour we know. But actually when it says, of that day and hour, that day refers to the tribulation period and the entire day of the Lord. And that hour refers to the tribulation period. Yes. I just found something. You just found something. All right. First Thessalonians five. First Thessalonians five. First verse it says, "But concerning the times of the season, that word concerning is the same Greek word in Matthew twenty four thirty six. That's of. Yeah. It's the same word. Same word. Of means concerning, about it. Yeah. Thank you. That's good to note. Oops, whoops, whoops, I got red red numbers out there. Let me go see what they are. So he is the I am. No. I hate to say that. To answer the question, go to Exodus chapter 3. The church teaches that Messiah is the great I am because he says in Exodus 3, I am that I am. But that's not actually what it says. Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. That would be in Hebrew, ani, asher, ani. And that's not what the Hebrew says. The Hebrew says what? Eyeh, asher, eyeh. I will be whom I will be. So he's the great I will. When they say here I am who I am, they mistranslate it so that it fits a lot of Christian doctrine. Ignoring that, let's go back to Matthew 10. But is he the one who said, I will be whom I will be? Yes, absolutely he is. Didn't he also say before Abraham was, I am? Yes. Yeah, but they capitalized that as the great I am who I am, but 
That's not what it says back there. Okay. All he simply says is, yeah, I've been around since before Abraham. Right. <laughs> Which if he's not God, yeah, he is God. He is God. Matthew 10.32 We read in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you will confess with your mouth, confession is important. Matthew 10, 32. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So what about all those people out there that call themselves Christians who say the Yeshua is not God? Yeah, this, this should make you worry. Should make you think anyway. Luke 12, 8. Yeah. Actually, people out, out there tell me I should stop reading the Bible. I'm, I'm just getting all confused. No, I don't think so. Luke 12, 8. Also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man also will confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. John chapter 12. You guys know I grew up in the Christian church. I was never taught that Yeshua was God. Mm -mm. John 12, 42. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. This comes back to Bill's question earlier. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. Lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Are these people we will expect to see in heaven? No. It says specifically, they refused to confess him because they were concerned of what other people might think. I have another one out there. Let me see. That sounds better. He's the I will be. Absolutely. And the scriptures explain it further that to a loving child, he's a loving father. But if you're a pagan idolater, you're not looking for the teddy bear come judgment day. Mm -mm. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 14. Before we read verse 14, I want to read you verse 9. 
There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. Do you see that? The translators did not do us any favors. That word rest appears only this one time in all of Scripture, and it's sabbatismos. And it means specifically a Sabbath rest. Why do you suppose the translators didn't want you to know that there is still a Sabbath rest for the people of God? Mm. So verse 14 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest, referring to our Messiah Yeshua, who has passed through the heavens, Yeshua the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. What's it mean, hold fast? Don't let it go. Paul's writing to Jewish believers that are young, who are being told by their family and friends that they have been misled, that they're in a cult, that they need to renounce this Yeshua fella and come back and earn their salvation through the works of the law. And Paul says, oh no. He's just said, our fathers fell in the wilderness because they tried to follow the commandments without faith. How does that work out? It does not. So hold fast our confession. Don't let it go. Revelation 3, 5. My, 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 Revelation 2 and 3 looks like it bled all over itself. The letters are all red. Matthew 3, 5. Revelation, thank you, 3, 5. Revelation 3, 5. He who overcomes. Where do you learn who an overcomer is? That's 1 John 5, that portion that says, what is the love of God that we keep his commandments? His commandments are not burdensome. That section. But it also tells us that he who overcomes, overcomes by faith. That keeping the commandments is an outgrowth of our faith. It's because of our faith. Faith doesn't come from works. Works come from faith. But he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. That should remind you of Revelation chapter 7 and Revelation 19. And I will not blot out his name from the book of life, which ought to tell you your name can be blotted out. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. So part of overcoming is you have maintained your confession. That Yeshua is the Lord. Is and always has been. Back to Romans. Back to Romans chapter 10. Verse 10. We'll wait just a minute until she gets back. You don't have to hurry. You can grab your cookie. It's okay. <laughs> but this book of Romans had a special meaning for her. That's why we're doing it. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness. Why the emphasis on the heart? That's where the love grows. 
and that's where the commandments are written it's all leading back to the same thing if you love the lord you will have the commandments written upon your heart where do we learn that jeremiah, jeremiah chapter 31 well, the heart is the throne of god yeah Yep. If you're saved, that's where God resides in your heart. But in Jeremiah 31, God told us what the new covenant is. I wish everyone who claimed the name of the Lord knew that. Jeremiah 31, verse 33. Let me give you a chance to get there. It's also quoted in the book of Hebrews. So it's both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. As is most everything. But this is the covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law, that Hebrew word is Torah, the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God, in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. To have it written on the heart means it's my desire to do it. If Messiah is our example, what does it tell us in Isaiah chapter 11? His desire is what? Yeah, Isaiah chapter 11, starting in verse 3. Referring to the Messiah, it says, His delight is in the fear of the Lord. What's that mean? It's his every desire to keep the commandments of God. But did he? Did he? Yes. Did Messiah keep the commandments yes. of God? Yes. How do we know? He didn't commit any sin. Let's go to John chapter 15 and read his words. John chapter 15. Yep. John chapter 15, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. That's what it means to have them written on your heart. I obey. Because I choose to obey. Back to Romans 10.10. Don't go to Romans 20. There isn't a 20 chapter. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. That is if you truly believe. You will then be obedient. What's the opposite of righteousness? Lawlessness. You will put away lawlessness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. But what about those rulers who believed, but they would not confess him? Were they saved? This says they fell short. Did we go to Matthew 10 already? Let's turn back there and just make sure I didn't leave out a couple. Matthew 10, 32 and 33. Yes. We did read those. How about Luke chapter 12, 8 and 9? Did we read those? Yes. yes. Okay, good. 
Then I can put that little note away and grab the note for verse 11. You don't know how much I wish 30 years ago I had started writing these in notebooks instead of on little bitty <laughs> strips of paper. Okay, ignoring that, let's go back to Romans chapter 10, up to verse 11. For the scripture says, what does the New Testament mean when it says the scripture? The Tanakh, the Old Testament. That's all they had. I know that the first Baptist seminary I attended said they had the King James version of the Bible, but they did not. I wish they didn't believe it, but they really believed it. People get so... I, I listen to a lot of videos comparing the King James to the modern translations. And they're usually very non-specific. But I finally found one that compares the King James to the New King James. By Chick Publications, you know, Chick Publications is King James only. And he gave me some examples that helped me see why he really doesn't like the New King James Version. He said in Psalm 23, it says, he leadeth me beside the still waters. In the New King James, it says, he leads me beside the still waters. And he said, I know what leadeth means, but I have no idea what leads means. <laughs> that let me know where he was coming from. <laughs> okay. He's debating with himself. Verse 11, for the scripture says, whoever, what does that word whoever mean? Anybody. Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Where's that from? From Isaiah. Yeah, let's go to Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. Let's be good, Talmudim. Isaiah 28, 16. Let's look and see how Isaiah 28, 16 says something very different. It says, therefore, thus says the Lord God. And it shouldn't say the Lord God, should it? Look at it. It should say, my Lord, the Lord. Behold, I lay in Zion, prophetic Jerusalem, a stone for a foundation. That's our Messiah. A tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act Hastily. It's a good thing we have Romans 11, 11 to explain what it means. We'll not act hastily. But when it says in Romans chapter 10, verse 11, we'll not act hastily or will not be put to shame, it means that your faith will not come to naught. You will not fail in your expectations. To believe in him is more than just to say, well, yeah, I think there was a, a Messiah once upon a time. To believe in him is what we've just read about in verses 9 and 10. 
do you truly believe that the Lord is Yeshua and Yeshua is the Lord? They're one and the same. How many verses did we look at in Isaiah? Let's go back to Isaiah, around chapter 45, that tell us there's only one God, there's only one Lord, there's only one Savior, there's only one Redeemer. I've had a lot of interactions with the anti-missionaries, okay. if you will, okay. a lot. And they've never taken that approach with me. Okay. They've always taken the approach of, look what the Christian church has done to us over the years. Do you really believe that's a group that was established by, led by, and follows the Jewish Messiah would treat the Jewish people this way? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, they do. Let's start in chapter 44 of Isaiah. Ah, 43. But we'll just hit a few of them, just quickly, because I'm running out of time. That's why I want to start with 45, but I just can't do it. <laughs> Isaiah 43, verse 14. Thus says the Lord, see how it's spelled? There's the tetragrammaton. Your Redeemer. Redeemer in Hebrew is goel, and it has to be a near kinsman, a flesh and blood relative. God in heaven is a spirit. He's not a flesh and blood relative. So he had to take on a body of flesh and blood to be our relative in order to qualify to be a redeemer. And he's the Holy One of Israel. Everybody knows that's Yeshua. Isaiah 12 says the Holy One of Israel will be in our midst, in our presence during the millennial kingdom. In chapter 44, verse 6, thus says the Lord, there's the tetragrammaton, the King of Israel, we know who the King of Israel is, that's our Messiah Yeshua. And his redeemer, that is Israel's redeemer, his goel, his kinsman, that has the ability and desire to redeem. The Lord of hosts, that's an end times prophecy, Adonai Zavaot, the Lord who leads the armies of heaven in Revelation 19, that's our Yeshua. He says, I am the first and I am the last. That's in Revelation 23. We looked at that a few minutes ago. Besides me, there is no God. Is that pretty clear? Yep. But it goes on. 44, verse 24. Thus says the Lord, there's the tetragrammaton, your Redeemer, and he who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who makes all things, who stretches out the heavens all alone. That's John 1.1. 1, 1. Who spreads abroad the earth by myself. Chapter 45, verse 15. Truly you are God who hide yourself, O God of Israel, the Savior. And there's many, many more. Like Isaiah 47, verse 4. As for our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel. I have two questions out here. 
How do I answer the anti-missionaries when they ask about the Christian persecution of the Jews? I say they may call themselves Christians, but that didn't make them Christians. Messiah died for his people, as well as the rest of the world. But what do they say in the gas chambers in Nazi Germany? You kill Christ, we kill you. But how many of those Nazi soldiers are going to be in heaven? Okay, enough said. We are back to Romans chapter 10, to verse 12. For there is no distinction. There's what? No distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Why does Paul make this point? There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. Because he's had his fair share of controversy with the believing Jews and the believing Gentiles who don't like each other. Give me a verse to prove that. Ephesians 2. Acts 15, that whole round, yeah. Let's go to Ephesians 2 for a moment. Acts 15 comes up because in the area of Galatia, wrong people came teaching that God can only save Jews. That the Gentiles can't be saved. Unless they convert to Judaism, in which case they're now Jews. Ephesians 2 verse 11 is all you need to see what Paul is dealing with. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, as you used to be Gentiles, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. Paul's saying that the believing Jews are looking down on the believing Gentiles as second class citizens. Verse 14, for he himself, that's our Messiah Yeshua, is our peace. That is between Jewish believer and Gentile believer, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, enmity is hatred that separates. That is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. Don't think for a minute that's talking about Torah, it's not. The word ordinances is the Greek word dogma. Dogma. And it refers to the rabbinic rules that in Acts chapter 10 would have kept Peter from going to Cornelius' house. That's when God broke down that middle wall of separation. Question. Yes, sir. On that uh, verse 15, is, uh, there's two words inserted there is in italics. Yep. That is, that is before the law of commandments and then contained is uh -huh. one in ordinances. So they just inserted those words to to help with the understanding. Understanding. Now, could it be that maybe there should be instead of contained, we should think 
comma, then there's a, uh, that the enmity is between the law and ordinances. No. Okay. No, what he's trying to say is that until God gave Peter the vision in Acts chapter 10, those rabbinic rules that wouldn't allow a Jew to go to the home of a Gentile was keeping the gospel from going out. So when God gave that vision to Peter, that removed the wall of separation. And when Peter went out and preached to the house of Cornelius, they all got saved, they got baptized, and God gave spiritual signs to say, they are baptized, they're saved just like you. So, and so that wall of separation was from the ordinances yes. of man, Correct. not from the commandments of God. Correct. That's what I'm, that's, that was my whole point to try and... Correct. And that's important because if you're reading from an NIV, they take out contained in ordinances. Right. And they make it look like it's God's commandments that were taken right. away, that they were the problem. And it's not. Yeah, but that, that, that's, that was where my thought was going, that the, the enmity is, was developed because, and, and it goes back to other references in the scripture that God's so mad at, at the priests because they were not telling the people of any side, either the Jews or the Gentiles, about his loving kindness and his desire to for people to repent come in. Yeah. So we have run out of time. We will pick up next week, continuing on Romans chapter 10, verse 12, whose point is very simple, and it's this. God does not care whether a believer used to be a Jew or used to be a Gentile. Who your physical parents are does not impress God. God's looking at your heart. He's looking at your faith. And we have many scriptures to look at. But we still have the same problem today. I don't know if you know that or not. When Becky and I were in California, we went up to a Messianic congregation in Beverly Hills. We have a big sign on the door that says, if you're not both Jewish, you can't come in. So it's got, if you're a married couple, both have to have two Jewish grandparents, not just one, or you're not welcome. They need to come back and read the book of Romans and a few other scriptures. And with that, we must bring our Bible study to a close. Again, we'll pick up next week in Romans chapter 10, verse 12.